So it's wonderful to be back. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for always being with us. Thank you for the hope that you continually offer to us. And we uh, invite you to speak this morning. We invite you to direct me. And uh, pray that you would just help us to open our hearts and to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to talk about the book of Hebrews this morning, the book of better, as I call it. And uh, I, I'm going to do some things this morning. I, I feel like uh, I, I'm just sort of going to teach the book itself as much as we can. And this is kind of maybe what I would do if I was sitting down with a, uh, a class back in, in Texas with a, a school of the Bible class and come and uh, uh, just present the book, try to uh, uh, make it clear in our personal context what we can pull out of it, but exactly what the author was intending. And uh, we're, we're, it hopefully won't be tedious. Um, uh, hopefully it's fun. I, have, I love this book. I love this book. So as I've been looking at it um, and preparing this week, I was just excited and seeing, uh, seeing some fun things. So we're just going to jump right in. The Hebrews author, there's a picture. Identity unknown. The book of Hebrews, nobody knows who wrote it. The exact circumstances, unknown. The recipients, the exact recipients, also unknown, although it's definitely written to Jewish Christians in the Roman Empire, and we have a, a, a pretty specific date. Now, people think, some have suggested Paul was the author, but I think that one has been more shoved down lately. He probably wasn't the author. The style is different. The theology is very similar. The style is different. I'm like the focus of the theology is, is, is uh, the same. So most have suggested that it was somebody who worked with Paul, maybe a disciple of him. Um, the, the funnest suggestion, because people have all these ideas, who could it have been? I think the one that's the most fun is Priscilla. Wouldn't that have been cool? And that might have been a reason that it was unsigned because oh, if they found out a woman wrote it, you know, like in that day and age, uh, people would have, you know, not embraced it. So there's not really any proof for it, but there's just, nobody really knows. So it's one of those fun suggestions. Um, the uh, uh, date, just to give you an idea of sort of how people come up with uh, dates like this, they're not looking at documents and trying to test it or anything like that. They're simply looking at the content. Um, Timothy, it says at the end of the book, by the way, Timothy has been released from prison. And we know Timothy was released from prison uh, probably somewhere around 68 AD uh, at the, the end of uh, Nero's reign. And uh, it had to be before 70 AD because that's when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and there's no mention of that. Um, in fact, he talks a lot about the high priest, as we're about to see, and the, what the high priest does every year. And if there was no temple to make sacrifices in, I'm pretty sure he would have said, oh, by the way, it doesn't even matter because, you know, anyway. So it probably had to be somewhere within that window. So we have a pretty exact uh, uh, date. Um, so this book uh, is written to Jewish Christians. There's no doubt about this. Um, and I'm going to show you the introduction to this book. And I'm going to do this just showing you what I do sometimes uh, with scripture diagramming. How many people have ever done scripture diagramming? Okay. There's about 5,002 different ways to do scripture diagramming. Um, but uh, I, I, the reason I do it sometimes is just because I'm a sort of a pictorial thinker. Any like pictorial thinkers in here? Um, sometimes if I can s just sort of see something, um, it helps me to follow uh, somebody's line of reasoning. So I just want to do that here. We're not going to go into the minutia of how this is done, but you're just taking a phrase and looking at how it's connected to another phrase, um, particularly grammatically through what's modifying what. But 
I'm just going to do this with the first uh, uh, couple of verses here because I love the introduction to this book. That one of the nice things about it, not having an author, um, and, you know, somebody who's identifying themselves, is there's not a, a little prologue. And sometimes those prologues, you know, you sort of like skim through them really quickly because Paul sometimes will have 10 verses, you know. Uh, and, and so anyway, this is what the letter's about. This letter just jumps right in, okay? Fantastic beginning. Here's, and this is small print, apologies. Uh, long ago, at many times and, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, now here's what I like about the diagramming. You can just see the contrast really good now when we pop in. That was before that first line is saying, here's what happened at a different time. Here's what God said and through these people. Okay, and look at this. But now in the last days, we got a contrast. He has spoken to us by his son. Now, how's that for a contrast? Okay? Before, he spoke to our fathers through prophets. Today, he speaks to us through his son. Isn't that cool? So, uh, whom he appointed the heir of all things, the son, through whom also he created the world. He is, still speaking of the son, still under the son, the son is the radiance of, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, think about this. Back in the day, he relayed messages through messengers. That's what prophets were. That's what prophets are. They're someone who deliver the messages of God. I think in the 90s, there was this real hip thing, like the best thing ever would be to be a prophet. And people would walk around wanting to be like an Old Testament prophet and coming into services and saying, thus saith the Lord, you know, or whatever, and trying, you know, making this big scene as if this is a glorious thing. Now, it was a great thing to be called of God to speak his words, but it was overhyped. The prophets were people simply giving a message of the Lord. And it was most important to give the message in his tone of voice, which many people still miss out on. So that was then, and that was cool enough, but he says now he spoke to us directly through his son. This is so much better. And how cool is the son? Here's how cool he is. He's exactly like the father. He's, ex he's just, he's the very image, the very radiance of his glory. And here's what he did. After he made purifications for all of our sins, he sat down next to the father. You know when you sit down? when you're done. <laughs> he did it, and he sat down, and he said, whew, that was awesome. That was awesome. Oh, and he also upholds the universe with his hand. It's just a, another little thing. What a great introduction to the book, isn't it? All right. So he keeps going here, uh, and then from here on, we get... Uh, um, we get a comparison. This sort of launches into this thing. Uh, he's, he's giving a comparison, and what is he saying? Well, he's saying it's better to have Jesus than have the prophets. <laughs> you see that? And so he launches into this entire book, and this entire book is a book of comparisons. When he's, he's, going to tell you, he's going to tell his audience now that Jesus is better. And that's why, that's why I call this a book of better. You just see him com comparing one after the other here. Now, a little history. Uh, the persecution... Uh, of the Jews started in Jerusalem and in Judea. And of course, Paul uh, himself was a part of that. Uh, it was uh, people who didn't like this new twist 
on, on uh, their religion. And so they tried to hamper it and, and, and stomp it out. And there was a great byproduct of that. The byproduct was the church split and went all over the place. I'm not split in a bad way. They split, like they're up and split, like they left. They went, oh, we better get out of here. And they went all throughout the empire. And I think God was saying, finally, you guys staying home so long. I told you, get out. And so they did. So uh, the, the persecution then became less by them. But over time, as, as they started to grow and as people started to identify, oh, there's this group called Christians and they're sort of a sect of Judaism but they're a little bit different. There was some teacher that now they worship and it's kind of weird and uh, uh, they started getting sort of ostracized for that. Now, um, this uh, uh, led to a great persecution um, by a man named Nero. Now, the, you've probably heard the legend here. You know, there was a, a massive fire in Rome in the year, uh, the year 64 AD. I didn't realize how extensive it was until this week. It was that like 70% of the city was destroyed. Massive. And Rome was like the greatest city ever, right? And it was, it was destroyed. Now, um, they, uh, uh, <laughs> the historians are not kind to Nero, even the ones in his day. He was accused of himself arranging to have that fire started. And during the fire, it is said that he was playing the lyre. He was singing about the fall of Troy. Now, that's a legend. I don't know if it's true or not. But that's sort of a picture of this man. He was incredibly cruel. He was incredibly uh, arrogant, very arrogant. And when people start blaming him for the fire, he goes, no, no, no. You know who it was? It was those Christians, that weird sect of Judaism everyone's been talking about. It was those guys. Can you believe that? They started the fire. They're going around saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar. It was them. And from then on, there's a, a, an intense persecution that hits the church. And, and tons of people are gathered up, thrown in prison, uh, and uh, some of them, many of them are martyred, some thrown to lions in and, and some of the, the gasless ways you can imagine. So that was what happened here. Um, so we have persecution coming at different times, both from Jews and Gentiles. Um, and now there was increased tension. What happened here is when uh, Nero's reign comes to an end, um, there's, there, uh, people start looking uh, around, and, and Jerusalem has been trying to revolt for years and years and years. And we talk a lot about that during Passion Week. And the... the, the passionate uh, uh, people in the city wanting to, to the Messiah to, to overthrow Rome. Well, there is a revolt brewing for many years, and in just two years, that's going to boil over, and the Roman soldiers are going to march on Rome and destroy it and destroy the temple. So we see lots of tension between Jews and Gentiles, and the Christians are sort of caught in the middle of that oftentimes. They're, they're getting persecution from the world, and they're getting persecution from the Jews. So that's where we're sort of at here. So um, this, this is, uh, so what we have here, consistent pressure by the Judaizers who have more reasons now to get the Jews to turn back. So Judaizers are people who are Jews and, and uh, they're, they're following Jesus, but they're saying, you, what you, that's great if you want to do that, but you need to do this through Judaism. And so they're, they're essentially trying to say, Anyone who comes in has to become Jewish in, in order to, to get Jesus. I know I'm giving you a lot of history, but are you with me? All right? Okay? Very good. So that's what we have here. That's, that's uh, uh, the history leading up. So this book 
is written to people who have come out of uh, a Jewish history. And the author is trying to say to them, don't go back. Don't go back. They're in the midst of persecution. They're in the midst of people hating them and ostracizing them. And it would be super easy to go, you know what? Yeah, this is too much for me. And to step back. And he's trying to tell them, don't do it. Why? There it is. <laughs> well, he starts a comparison. He says, Jesus is better. And in the beginning of the book, he says, Jesus is better than the angels. Now, notice what he is going to do here. He's going to speak their language. Now, if you read these arguments and you're like, well, what, what in the world? Why is he even talking about this? This isn't making a whole lot of sense. This would have made perfect sense to people who were in that culture and particularly those who were Jewish. They would have understood these arguments and would have hit dead on. There was, uh, first of all, a belief that Jesus was some sort of angel. And there was also a belief that the angels sort of kept, were the keepers of the Torah, the keepers of the law. They were sort of the guardians of that thing. And so it represented a whole lot. And, and the author says, you know what? Yeah, angels are awesome. But, but I'll tell you what, God never said to the angels, you're my son. There's so many reasons why Jesus is better. And, and, and on top of that, he wasn't an angel in the first place. In fact, he was created as a man and lived sinlessly and became the sacrifice for our sins. What angel can say that? So he makes this comparison, and it's, it's simply this. Jesus is better than the angels. Now, when we start talking about better, better with ideas and religious ideas or, or, or figures, nowadays people can get really upset. This could be like extremely offensive to dare say that some idea is better than another or that some person is better. Or you, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's a very, we're, we're, we're uh, extremely sensitive about this. And it's kind of funny because uh, I think it's pretty much just here in the West that we make such a big deal about it. Because you might have some saying, well, how, how dare you say that Jesus is better than another way? But what they're really saying is Jesus is not better than another way. So they're making a definitive, conclusive, judgmental statement about that. Do you see that? So you can make all kinds of, of statements about uh, 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 something like this, about a person like Jesus. But I'll tell you, truth is in and of itself it's, it's limiting in and of itself. Anytime you make a statement, you're saying something else isn't true. Anytime you, you if, if you say, this sweater is blue. By the way, it's sweater day. I saw Jason Vaughn wearing a sweater. There you go. Just like mine, actually, only different color. This sweater is blue. You know what you're also saying? This sweater is not red. <laughs> Truth is Limiting, anytime you make a statement, you are making a limiting statement. So if I say Jesus is better, is that a limiting statement? Yes, because I'm saying he's the greatest in the entire universe. And you can say, no, he's not. Well, then you're making a limiting statement too. If you have a belief, then you are judging other beliefs by saying you have a belief. Do you see what I'm saying? So I think we get way too bent out of shape about this idea of like, oh, how dare you? How dare you have an opinion? <laughs> the reason you choose something is because you think it's better than another thing. Does that make sense? Why do, you, why do you live in Oregon? Maybe you live in Oregon because you like living in Oregon better than you like living in Seattle. 
or better than somewhere else. Amen. <laughs> I drink a certain kind of coffee because I think it's better than Folgers. Can we just pray for those still drinking Folgers? <laughs> it's no good. I'm sorry. It's, See, our fathers had to drink it because they didn't have options. Our fathers did. But today, today we have better options. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm making a limiting statement. And here's about something that matters. I'm saying the Son of God stepped down out of heaven and he's better than anyone else you'll ever find. And I, I'm not ashamed of saying that. I don't think we need to shrink back from those. So, I'm almost preaching my sermon before I finish this part. He goes on. He's also, Jesus, he says to his Jewish audience, is better than Moses. Now, how dare you? Because Moses is, I mean, he's Moses. Hello? Come on. Charlton Heston up there, by the way. Charlton Heston. Jesus is even better than Moses. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Do you see the comparison? He's comparing. What is he saying? Jesus is better. Moses was faithful of a servant, God's house. Oh, and Jesus is the son. He's better. Hey, he's better than the high priest. And these, these arguments go on. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down, he sat down, <laughs> at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool, a footstool, for his feet. For by a single offering, one offering, he has perfected for all time those who, are being, uh, those who are being sanctified. Isn't that cool? He's better than the high priest. The high priest is going to do it every year. And you know what else? Their sacrifice was also for themselves. Jesus sacrificed one time, and he didn't have any sin. One time, and then he was done. So he sat down and put his feet up on his enemies. Sat down and turned the game on. One of my favorite things to do after I preach is to go home and put on the game and to just stretch out and put my feet up because I'm done. Jesus is done. He's better. And he goes into a weird little caveat when he starts talking about this guy, Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, I'm not going to put that up because I don't want you to read it yet while I'm trying to explain it because I made a mistake by not having that text come in after a click. So, Melchizedek, this weird little section in the book of Genesis, when Abraham has gone out and he saved his, his nephew, uh, and he's, he's bringing his nephew home along with this sort of band of, uh, of this little you know, mercenary army he's put together. And along the way, as he's walking back, he meets this random guy. We know almost nothing about him, and he's so mysterious. He's called Melchizedek, and they say he's a priest, uh, in Sa a priest of Salem, a priest of the Most High. So we don't know anything about him, but Abraham was so impressed that he actually gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And then he disappears, and he's gone. A priest of God that's outside of the family of Abraham completely evidently had a revelation of who God was and served him and served him well. 
And, and so uh, in this book, he starts, as he's talking about Jesus as, as a better high priest, he makes a, a, a little sidestep here, and he says he's in the order of Melchizedek, not of Aaron. Uh, I'm, I have, uh, I'm going to show you a quick quote here by N.T. Wright. Um, I quote him often because he's probably the premier New Testament scholar in the world right now. Um, it was a problem for the early church that Jesus was from the house of David. It meant that he was qualified to be Messiah, that is, King of Israel. But it disqualified him from being a high priest, who should have been from the house of Levi, a different tribe altogether. Hebrews points out that in Psalm 110, the king is used to, uh, uh, excuse me, said to be a, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, whose priesthood does not depend on a transient, transient high priest uh, to be replaced by someone else. He remains a priest forever. In other words... Summing up uh, where we've gone so far, Jesus, the Son of God, the truly human one, is heading or is leading his people to their promised land and is available for all people and for all time as the totally sympathetic one, the priest through whom they can now come to God. Following Jesus is the only way to go. Isn't that cool? So he makes that little sidestep. Now, I know that's a little bit out of the flow of where we're going, but I wanted to throw that in because that's a, a mysterious part of this book that people are scratching their head. What's that, what's that all about? So that's what he's saying. He's saying, in the same way that Melchizedek has no genealogy listed, he says, neither mother nor father, in the same way, Jesus is, this, is, is the same way. He is in the order of Melchizedek. He was, he was, uh, uh, he, he was um, ordained by God himself and not just by uh, someone who happened to be his dad. You see this? And Melchizedek was long before the, the, tri, uh, the priests of Aaron were even chosen for this. So in other words, guess what? Jesus is greater than Aaron, is greater than Moses. He's greater than the high priest. What would he say to us? Well, most of us haven't come to Christianity by way of Judaism, probably. There may be some in here who have. But what would he say to us if the author was writing this book to us? He wouldn't use the, 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 uh, those issues. He would speak to us right here as a culture. And I think he would tell us uh, the same thing. He would say, don't go back. But don't go back to what? Well, the predominant philosophy of our age is materialism. And not only the consumer kind of materialism, although that's very much a part, but materialism in the belief, or the, at least the operational mode that the only thing that exists is material stuff. Matter and energy, <laughs> flesh and bone. That's all that's actually there. In other words, we in the West live as if there is no invisible world. And it, it, it shows itself in all kinds of different things of atheism or agnosticism or even just deism of people who might believe that God's up there but he doesn't interact with human beings. So for all intents and purposes, it's all the same. It's all a materialistic philosophy. By the way, people in the East think that's so ridiculous. They grow up being very familiar with the spirit world. And they can tell you stories and your hairs on your arms stick up. You're like, what? I just think that's fascinating. There's this massive religious cultural divide in East and West. Um, so uh, I, think he would, I think he would say, uh, something like this. I, I think he would be looking at the way the materialistic world around us and culture around us um, just presses in, you know? It's pressing and it's needling us all the time. 
We might not be persecuted like those guys in the same way, but we're ridiculed a lot. And some are persecuted, and some worry that there's gonna be a whole lot more, and there is in other places. I think he would say this, don't go back. Jesus is better than your hypothesis. He's better than your mysticism or your lack of mysticism. He's better than your scientific explanations of why you think something happened or why you think you are here. Your ideas of the origin of life can't account for the presence of things like joy and love and meaning. You know, people talk about, well, they talk about the, the, the problem of pain for Christianity and think, well, it, you know, if, if God's good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? And that's a difficult question to answer. It really is. It's a difficult one to get in there. But here's the opposite, the flip side of that coin. Is it, it, if, excuse me, they say if God is real, then why is there suffering? Why, it, the flip side of that coin is if God is not real, then why is there love? Why is there hope? Why is there joy? Because if the world's just materials, that doesn't account for any of that. Why is it that my heart swells when I see a child born? Why is it that I know there's something so worthy and valuable, it, it, beautiful in that? And I know, guys, this is something beyond just materials. There's a problem of hope for, for atheism and agnosticism. There's a problem of hope. There's a problem of pain for Christianity. There's a problem of hope for them. You can't account for that. You can't account for such meaning and purpose that we feel. He's better. He's better than heritage. Whatever kind of heritage that is, national heritage, religious heritage, maybe even heritage of ideas, heritage of thought, political philosophy, whatever it is, he's better. You know why? Uh, it all leads back to him, actually. It all traces back to him. He's the father of mankind, and he died for every one of those heritage and ethnicities, every one of those, every, every political group, every individual, no matter how much they've hated him, he died for. Not only is he the founder of humanity, but he redeemed all of humanity. He's greater than your heritage. He's greater than your personal plan of salvation. You know, when you ask somebody questions about eternal destinies and things like that, when you get in those kinds of conversations with people, it's always interesting. We say, like, and I don't, need, I don't usually take this approach, but it's, it's interesting, the, the, the ideas people have, you say, are you going to heaven or hell? I'm going to heaven. Really? Well, why? Well, I'm a good person. So they have a plan of salvation, and that is, you know, be nice. You know? Well, I, basically, usually it's something like this. Well, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm nowhere near like those guys. So your plan of salvation is be better than the people who are really bad, and it's going to be awesome. It's your plan of salvation. Jesus is better than that. He's better than that. Why? Well, for so many reasons. So many reasons. But the most obvious one is that you and I fall short. We have fallen short. We probably will fall short again. And you know what? He hasn't. <laughs> and still, he sacrificed for you himself. I mean, that's awesome. He's better. Your personal plan of salvation cannot match his. 
What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that no matter what kind of things you face, no matter what kind of ridicule you face at work, no matter what kind of pressure you feel from external cultures or, 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 or pressure you feel from, from things that hurt like crazy inside of you and you can't explain, don't go back. Because Jesus is better. There are so many times, there are so many times we feel those things and we go, well, well, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't have answers for that. And the world goes, see, it's all a sham. You don't have answers. You go, well, who has all the answers for anything? Do you have all the answers? You have all the answers for how there's life and meaning. You have all the answers for why there's beauty. You have all the answers for why if everything's just material world, you can look at something and say, that's wrong. There's something wrong. What's the source of wrong? You don't have answers for those things either. There's so many things in this world we don't have answers to. There's answers to scriptures. I don't have the answer to, and I hope that one day I will, but I might never in this life. But you know what? I don't care. I have this much understanding. But he's better. He's better. And the chief pressure on you actually isn't going to be cultural, probably. It'll be when something hits you and you don't know what to do with it. It'll be when, when you lose somebody or, or when, when, when you're dealing with an illness or you're seeing such travesties around you that you say, how in the world, how in the world can I go on and believe that this is a good God and I'm telling you, don't turn back. You might not have the answers now, but keep going. Please keep going. Don't turn back because Jesus is better and you are going to get answers. And one day he's going to set everything right. Don't turn back. Keep pressing in because he's better. That's what the author was saying and that's what I implore you today. And he goes on. He goes on. And he says, be like these guys. There are heroes in the clouds, friends. A great cloud of witnesses. And he begins to describe some. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what, was, uh, what is not seen was made visible out of things that are visible. And he goes on and he starts talking about people who simply heard and obeyed. And they're heroes because of it. Because they heard and they believed. And that, that belief, their actions followed that belief. That's called faith. It doesn't mean that you, have, that you never have doubts. You will have doubts. Everybody has doubts about everything. That doesn't invalidate it. Don't be pressured into that nonsense kind of reasoning. Oh, oh Mother Teresa put out a, 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 her, her memoirs and oh, sometimes she doubted whether God was there. Of course! What, I've seen people go, well, that proves it. It's all a sham. Like, unbelievable. She didn't, and that's why she's a hero. She didn't turn back. She kept on going, and she kept on loving, and she kept on looking at these, these collections of molecules, this, this, this matter in front of her in the shape of human beings, and saying, there's something more than matter here. There's a breath of God inside this person. Therefore, I will love them. And I don't care what kind of tumors I have to touch. I don't care what I get on me because I see Jesus inside of them. And that's why she's a hero. She's a modern day hero of the faith. Of whom the world is not worthy. He describes the things that these people went through and did not turn back. 
He describes, you've got men like David, men like Abraham, men like Moses, who received a promise and didn't even receive it, but they looked at it and they said, I'm going for it, I'm going for it. Maybe you won't receive all the, all the, the things that you desperately seek in this life. Don't turn back. You will receive it. You will receive it. Maybe you have to wait until Restoration Day, but you will receive it. The world is not worthy. I was thinking about some other modern-day people, heroes in the clouds. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a wonderful book written by a man named Eric Metaxas about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you get a chance, please read this book. Wonderful man of God who stood in Nazi Germany and as all the church was starting to, to give way to all of the cultural pressures and starting to, to lock Jewish people out of fellowships and starting to turn against them and, and saying they were somehow less, he stood up and said, no, they're not. And he refused to compromise. He refused to back up the Nazis. In fact, he became part of the hidden resistance. And he was arrested and he was executed just before the surrender of the Axis. It's a tragic story because he was so close to making it through. But he stands as a hero, someone who says, I don't care how mighty the armies of Hitler are. The armies of heaven are greater. Jesus is better. And he does not relent. Be like him. I think of a, 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 a martyr named Fatima. She was a, a young lady in Saudi Arabia who, who had gotten so frustrated with Islam, she decided she was going to be an atheist. And then she met Jesus, and everything changed. And she started to blog and, and write all these beautiful posts about how, how much she loves Jesus and her hope for Saudi Arabia. And it was going all over the place. People were reading these posts and not knowing who she was. She came in her house one time, and her brother's holding her laptop computer, and her brother worked for the government and says, what is this? This is you? She went and hid in her room, and she wrote one last post saying she, that, that she was looking for the day. First she said, I'm in big trouble. And she said, what just happened? And then she, she wrote a prayer for her Muslim brothers and sisters that one day there could be peace and true compassion for others who don't share her, her beliefs. And after she wrote that, her brother came into the room. They say he cut out her tongue and executed her. And by the way, it's not a big deal in Saudi Arabia because it happens all the time. Can you believe it? She stood up against that and says, you know what? Jesus is greater. He's greater than the cultural pressures that are put on and one day it's gonna change and one day love's gonna break through because he loves you, Muslims. He loves you, my family. Jesus is greater. And she gave her life in the process and she's a hero looking down on us. In the, she, she's part of the great cloud of witnesses. And this man, 50 years ago on Friday, the same day that John F. Kennedy was killed, Clive Staples Lewis, my hero, died. He wasn't martyred, but he went through some incredible testing near the end of his life. As he had lived alone and he, he followed the Lord and he wrote these amazing, wonderful books like the Screwtape Letters and Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia and all these things. And he wrote the most beautiful way that he could communicate the truth of God. He put those down and, and he, he's still having a massive effect today to this day. 
as he shows a picture of Jesus that's so beautiful that people are drawn in. But you know what? He met his wife uh, um, late in life and he absolutely broke for her. He had never been in love and he just adored this woman. And very short time into her marriage, very short time, she got sick and he watched her deteriorate before his eyes and he just, just married her. And he watched her go away and get weaker and weaker and he lost her. And he wrote a, a book chronicling his experience and chronicling his, his struggles with the pain. And you know what? He didn't turn back. He didn't turn back. He says, I still love and I'm still gonna be an ambassador for Jesus because he's greater than anything else in this world. And he didn't turn back. Fix your eyes on him the author and the perfecter of our faith. There is no one better. There is no one greater. And there is no more worthy man than this. So stay with him. Keep your eyes on him. And the temporal things that you experience will one day pass away. But he goes on and on and on. Amen. Amen. Pastor? If you're here this morning and uh, you've never joined the way where Jesus is the way, Jesus put it like this. He said in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart that he is the Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead and you will confess that with your mouth before men, you will be saved. I want to encourage you today, if you've never done that, take advantage of this moment, because Jesus, there's nothing better. Many of us have walked with him for many years and went through many trials and struggles, can come back and say, I'll never turn back. I'll never go back. I want to give you that chance right now. Would you pray with me, those that can? And if you don't really mean it, don't do it. But if you mean what we pray today, Jesus will come and reveal himself to you in such a way that you will never even want to turn back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I do believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross. God raised you from the dead. I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. For with my mouth, I do confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. Thank you, Father, for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Did anyone pray that that has never prayed that before in the house? Would you be bold enough to wave your hand at us? Is there anybody that said, that's me? Hallelujah. Pastor? What a sweet day, huh? Come on, I'm thinking my tank is pretty full. You guys ready for a, a great week of extending the kingdom? Are you encouraged? Are you excited? Are you going to give up? 
I didn't think so. Can we get the prayer servant team to come up? Listen, if you need healing in your body, um, we have seen some amazing healings. Jesus, this Jesus that is better, still heals. So if you need encouragement or prayer of any kind, uh, the prayer servant team is coming up to the front. We'd love to pray for you. Um, We have some lovely cards here on the table. It's a free cup of coffee and a welcome to come here. If you've been coming here and you're blessed, which I know you are, Give those cards away to people and say, hey, listen, I think you would really appreciate coming in and meeting this God and meeting my family. Give those cards away. There's a whole bunch of them outside. Right outside the door, there's a little table. Grab as many as you want. Just accidentally drop them places or hand them to people and invite them. But I just I want to say, hey, be the welcoming committee to bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. You guys have a blessed day. And uh, I'm going to be here back at this white table. So if you're a guest here, I'd love to shake your hand and uh, say hello to you. And um, you guys, you're amazing. Have a good week.